Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Judges. Howdy and good morning, friends and faithful listeners. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast, and I'm so excited that you're here to share a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me this morning as we discuss some scriptural passages. Now, if you're looking for a great cup of coffee, I highly recommend Seven Weeks Coffee because their coffee is not only delicious, but they also donate 10% of everything they make to pregnancy centers. And I think they've been able to raise something like $175,000 just in the past year to pregnancy centers across the U.S. So check them out. They offer ground and whole bean coffee. But guys, you know what? I don't understand why every single time I get on the podcast, my I get like heartburn or something. It's either heartburn or I start coughing or like something happens to my voice. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, this is not a fake thing. Like every single time, suddenly something's wrong with my voice. The second I press record on my computer. It's very interesting how that happens. So I don't know what's going on today. Maybe I drink too much coffee and maybe that's why I have the heartburn right now. But I'm like, seriously, the second I press record, now I feel the heartburn coming up. But okay, let's go ahead and read Judges chapter eight and we'll try to, I'll try to get through this today. So bear with me. Judges eight, 18 through 35. This is a fascinating portion of scripture. I'm very excited to talk about this because we're going to get into some Really great stuff regarding leaders, especially leaders in the church. So grab your Bible and your cup of coffee or your cup of tea. And let's go ahead and read Judges chapter 8, verses 18 through 35. And as usual, I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. version of the Bible. Then he, or Gideon, said to Ziba and Zalmanah, What kind of men were they who you killed at Tabor? They answered, They were like you. They all resembled the children of a king. He said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. And as Yahweh lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. He said to Jether, his firstborn, get up and kill them. But the youth didn't draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zalmana said, you rise and fall on us. For as is the man, so is his strength. Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmana and took the crescents that were on their camel's necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you, your son, and your son's son also, for you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. Yahweh shall rule over you. Gideon said to them, I do have a request, that you would each give me the earrings of his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They answered, We will willingly give them. They spread a garment, and every man threw the earrings of his plunder into it. The weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, in addition to the crescents and the pendants and the purple clothing that was on the kings of Midian, and in addition to the chains that were about their camels' necks. Gideon made an ephod out of it and put it in Ophrah, his city. Then all of Israel played the prostitute with it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his house. So Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, and they lifted up their heads no more. The land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons conceived from his body, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. 
Gideon the son of Joash died a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abizarites. As soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel turned again and played the prostitutes following the Baals and made Baal Bareth their god. The children of Israel didn't remember Yahweh their god, who had delivered them out of the hand of all of their enemies on every side. Neither did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had shown to Israel. Where we left off last time, Gideon had just taken the two kings of Midian, who were named Zeba and Zalmana. And these two kings were very notorious, very cruel kings. And we actually find out in this portion of scripture, which was not mentioned beforehand, that Zeba and Zalmana, the two kings of Midian, actually killed all of Gideon's brothers. Yeah, and Gideon knew about this. He asks them this question. What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And so they answer him, they answer Gideon, they were like you. They all resembled the children of a king. And so that makes me believe that I think these these two kings, Zeba and Zalmana, actually targeted Gideon's brothers because it kind of seems like they knew that they were Gideon's brothers. They all were like children of a king. And so they, they in a way, kind of butter up Gideon in a sense by, you know, complimenting him that he's like a child of the king. They knew that they targeted Gideon's brothers. And so Gideon says, they were my brothers. They were the sons of my mother. And as Yahweh lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So Gideon's like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have killed you if you wouldn't have gone and killed all my brothers. But now because you took revenge out on me, I'm going to take my revenge out on you. So Ziba and Zalmana are actually kind of okay with this in a weird way. Because Gideon yells at his firstborn son, who is Jether. And he says to Jether, get up and kill these two kings. But of course, because Jether, it actually says he was a youth. Jether was afraid. He was afraid to draw his sword and kill these two kings. Now, we don't know how old Jether was. I mean, he was Gideon's firstborn son. That means Gideon couldn't have been that old either when all of this took place. I would guess Jether was probably 12, 13 years old because traditionally that was when boys started to become men, but they were still considered youth, right? So I would I would assume that Jether was probably just old enough to follow his dad out to battle. So Gideon, I don't know why he asks his son Jether to kill these two kings. Maybe it was like a rite of passage. Maybe that's what Gideon thought. So he wanted his firstborn son to do it. I don't know. But the young boy was struggling. So he didn't draw his sword. And so the two kings, they see this taking place. And Ziba and Zalmana, they tell Gideon, they're like, do it yourself. Why are you having your son do it? You do it. And he, they kind of are like, look, you're not a man if you don't do it yourself. <laughs> that's sort of what they say to him. They say, then Ziba and Zalmana said, Gideon, you rise and fall on us, for as the man is, so is his strength. So they're like, you're not a man, Gideon, if you don't do it yourself. Just kill us. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmana and took the crescents that were on their camel's necks. So Ziba and Zalmana, this kind of just sounds like an honor system that much of the world has. Ziba and Zalmana kind of knew that they were destined to die. And in some ways, it would be very 
dishonoring for these two Midianite kings to return home in complete defeat. So they tell Gideon, they're like, look, just do it yourself. So Gideon does it. He kills Zeb and Zalman and he takes the crescents that were on their camels necks. So the Midians had a lot of camels and it kind of sounds like they would dress their camels up a little bit with gold necklaces. It mentions twice in this passage that the camels wore things around their necks. I don't know if it was out of functionality or if it was out of like opulence. It could have been both. But Gideon takes the gold crescents that were around the camel's necks. So Midian is finally subdued. Israel is home to the Israelites again. And I don't know how much time passes, but at some point in time, after all of this happens, the men of Israel come up to Gideon and they say, rule over us, both you and your son and your son's son also, for you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. So everything's all well and good again. The Israelites are happy. They have their land back. It's theirs again. And now they want a king. And God knew that the people were going to ask for a king. The Israelites desperately wanted to be like the societies around them. That's why we always see the Israelites turning back to paganism. That's why we always see the Israelites having idolatry and worshiping the gods of the nations and having peace treaties with the people that surrounded them and begging and asking for a king instead of the judges. Israel desperately wanted to be like the world. But Israel was called to be something totally different. They were called to be different from the world. And they were also called to be a picture of what salvation could look like. But Israel failed all the time. And now again, they're failing. They want Gideon to become their king when God was their king. But the Israelites are rejecting God. But Gideon actually says to the the Israelite men, he says, no, I'm not going to rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. Yahweh shall rule over you. Because that is how it was supposed to be. That was how everything was set up. God was the ruler. The judges and the priests would interpret God's law and proclaim judgment on the people. But there was no direct leader. Even the judges weren't exactly the leaders of Israel. God was supposed to be the leaders. So Gideon says the right thing. He's like, no, I'm not going to become your king. Neither will my son become your king. God will be your king. But then all of a sudden, Gideon does something kind of interesting. He's like, but here's what I will ask of you guys. I'm not going to become your king, but give me all the gold earrings that you plundered. (laughs) So Gideon receives all the gold earrings. And where does this sound similar? Sounds similar from Exodus, where Aaron tells all of the people when Moses was up on the mountain talking to God, and he was delayed, Moses was taking his time, Aaron tells the people to remove their gold earrings and to place them in a pile. And then Aaron took those earrings and made them into a golden calf. And then the people worshipped the golden calf and became idolatrous with it, even though they had already said they would worship Yahweh as their God. It sounds like the same exact story happening all over again here in Judges chapter 8, because Gideon asks the people to give him all their earrings. 
And so they do. And it actually says that Gideon spreads a garment out to receive all of the gold earrings from the plunder. It says every man threw in the earrings of his plunder into the garment. And it says the weight of the gold earrings that Gideon requested was 1,000, yeah, 1,700 shekels of gold. This is approximately, it says 37.4 pounds or for anybody not living in the U.S., 17 kilograms. So that's a lot. That's a lot of gold. I mean, that's a ton of gold. So Gideon received a, a very, very hefty payment for what he had done. But it wasn't just the gold earrings that Gideon received. He also received all the crescents from the camels, along with the pendants, the purple clothing that was on the kings of Midian, and in addition to the chains that were about their camels' necks. And it doesn't say how much all of that stuff weighed, but I would imagine that was several pounds more. All these golden chains and golden crescents that were on the camels, and not to mention the opulent clothing that the, the two kings, Zeba and Zalmana, were wearing. Gideon received all of that. And then Gideon gets this great idea. He's like, you know, I'm going to take all this gold, and I'm going to make an idol out of it. So he takes all this gold that he receives from the, the battle and he makes a golden ephod out of it. Now, an ephod was a type of clothing, actually, that the priests would wear. And if you remember me talking about the ephod that the, the high priest would wear, it was beautiful. You know, it was a gorgeous piece of clothing that only the priest was allowed to wear. But Gideon decides to make one made out of gold. Now, I don't know if it was just decorated with gold and it was made out of like normal material or if it was made of solid gold that you're not supposed to technically wear and it just became a statue. I don't know what Gideon did with it, but he makes a, a golden ephod <laughs> out of all of his gold. And then it says that he sets it up in his home city of Ophrah or Oprah, I'm not sure. And right after that, the people are happy. The Israelites play the prostitute with it there. So they start worshiping this ephod. And it actually says that it became also a snare to Gideon and to his entire household. So Gideon started worshiping this ephod as well, this golden ephod. I don't know what Gideon was thinking here. I don't know if he was trying to appease the people. I don't know if he thought that he was making this to God. I don't know what Gideon's thought process was here, but whatever it was, it was not a good thought process because he sinned either way. Even if he was trying to make it to God, God was always super clear that whenever you built an altar to him that was outside of the temple, which Ophrah, Gideon's home city, was definitely outside of the temple because the temple was way over in Shiloh at this point in time, which was... Um, not even in Gideon's tribe. Whenever God says to make an altar outside of the temple, it was always supposed to be very plain looking. For example, there were altars that were just stones, like stones piled up on top of each other. And God actually said, don't put any tools together when you make these altars to me. Make them very, very plain. And there was a specific reason why God always requested his altars to be very, very plain and to be made without tools. Because P 
people might be tempted to worship the artistry of the altar instead of Yahweh. That's why God was so clear about altars being plain. And I can imagine that a golden ephod was very artistic looking, very beautiful looking, I'm sure. But definitely it should not have been made because God was so clear about how things were to be done in worship toward him. So Gideon sins and Israel begins playing the prostitute with this ephod as well as Gideon and his entire family. So that's a bad sign that um, a judge is still alive and is encouraging the people to uh, sin against God by idolatry. But it says in verse 28 that nonetheless, Midian was subdued before all the children of Israel and they lifted up their heads no more. So Midian was done. Okay. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So God was still gracious to Gideon and Gideon's family in spite of the fact that there was like literal idol worship happening at Gideon's hometown. So then it says Jerubbabel, which was another name for Gideon. Gideon, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Gideon has 70 sons conceived from his own body, for he had many wives. <laughs> so so this just kind of shows like how far Gideon goes down the wrong path. Because not only now is he pray, playing the prostitute you know, with this ephod that he makes, but he's playing the prostitute in his own house by marrying so many different wives. Scripture is so clear from the very beginning of time that God created marriage to be between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that design is a sin. And the New Testament actually condemns polygamy outright. Now, of course, there are so many people who want to say that polygamy is fine, that like, look at the Old Testament, they're like, well, Gideon had 500 wives and Solomon had 7 trillion wives. And, you know, this person had all these wives, but that was never the design. And even in the Old Testament, God was super clear that leaders of Israel, specifically kings, should not have many wives. What does that mean? A king could only have one wife according to God, because more than one, two or more equal many. So God was clear at the beginning, one man, one woman. And so Gideon is playing the harlot, playing the prostitute in his own house. And yet God is still so gracious. God was very gracious with uh, many poor belief systems way back in the Old Testament. Very, very gracious about it. We're going to see how gracious God actually gets even further into judges as the judges themselves become more and more corrupt and more and more awful. (laughs) But anyway, Gideon begins living this opulent lifestyle because having many wives and having many sons and many daughters was a sign of wealth. And I would imagine that Gideon did not have many wives before Midian came. I, I do think Gideon's family was more well off personally when Midian was in control than probably most families at the time period. However, I still think that Gideon could not have, no way could have supported 70 sons and however many wives that he had. So I do think that Gideon started marrying these women after Midian was subdued and after Gideon himself gained all this wealth from all the gold and whatever else he did. So Gideon ends up 
living this extremely opulent lifestyle. And he ends up having a son named Abimelech from a concubine. So he had not just wives, but he also had concubines. We don't even know how many concubines he had. So uh, extremely adulterous man. And he ends up naming this son from this concubine Abimelech. Now, here's what's hilarious about this name Abimelech. If you look up what Abimelech means, it actually means the son of a king. (laughs) So Gideon initially tells the Israelite people, he's like, no, I'm not going to become your king. But then he's living this like kingly lifestyle with like all these wives, all this money, all this opulence. And then he names his son the son of a king. So So it's just it's just kind of funny how, you know, even though Gideon said something with his mouth, he didn't actually believe it. And then after Abimelech, uh, Gideon, it says the son of Joash died a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Orpha of or Ophra of the Abizarites. So in his hometown, Gideon was buried. He lived a, he lived a very, very long life. And um, it says after Gideon died, the children of Israel turned again and played the prostitute following the Baals and they made Baal Bareth their God. So they totally reject Yahweh. And it's kind of sad right here. Verse 34, the children of Israel didn't remember Yahweh, their God, who delivered them out of the hand of all of their enemies on every side. That is a sad, sad verse. If you think about it, they, God was forgotten. Yahweh God, after he had done so many miracles and showed so many signs and wonders and protected Israel on every single side, every single time and got them out of trouble. Every time they called, called on his name, they forgot God. He was forgotten. And so they make Baal Bareth their God. And they also didn't show kindness to the house of Gideon, even though Gideon had shown, shown kindness to all of Israel. So that's another, another thing that Israel did. I know this episode's getting kind of long, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking if you, if you guys don't mind. Israel began rejecting God. And you can see that it wasn't just with the gods that they were worshiping, but they also weren't showing kindness to somebody who showed them kindness. Now that kind of shows how bad the culture got. As people get further and further away from God, historically, you can see how cultures begin to get more and more unkind, more and more unloving towards people. So this culture now of Israel, after Gideon dies, is so far away from God. They make another God their God. And now they're not even showing kindness to somebody who showed them kindness. It kind of shows how far the culture fell. You can see that nowadays. I I say that in so many episodes that I do. You can see that nowadays because you can. You can see how godless society is right now and how people are just meaner than ever. People are so mean. They're like brazenly mean. But that's because God is kind and people who follow God are supposed to have attributes of kindness and people that don't follow God don't understand what kindness really is. They don't understand because not following God is following self and self is naturally unkind. Self is naturally selfish, right? So of course, a culture that doesn't understand or doesn't follow God isn't going to truly understand what kindness is. So Israel is not kind here, even to their own. 
But one last thing I'd like to talk about before I end this episode is Gideon and Gideon's opulent lifestyle. He was supposed to be a leader, a judge of Israel. I don't know how much judging he really did, actually. It doesn't say that he did a lot of judging. But, you know, he lived this lifestyle like a king, like a king. I know that God is the one who gives wealth. It says very clearly in scripture that God gives wealth to people. And so we shouldn't envy people who have wealth because that was all given to them by God. But I do think it's important for leaders, especially leaders in a church, to show propriety with wealth. There are so many mega church pastors out there that live these kind of opulent lifestyles that Gideon lived. Some of these pastors, these mega church pastors have like jet airplanes and like designer clothes and just all sorts of crazy things. And they don't show this modesty with their wealth. And I do believe that that is unhealthy. I think that pastors should show propriety with the wealth that they have been given because Christians are not supposed to live as the world lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to, you know, give up everything and and live in total squalor like that one guy talks about, that one pastor. (laughs) He's a pastor out in D.C. I I do not remember his name. I'm sorry. But uh, he, he actually says that Christians should live in squalor, basically. And I fully do not believe that either, because once again, we shouldn't diss the blessings God has given us. I think that that is also unhealthy. But modesty is very important in everything that we do as Christians. We aren't supposed to live as the world lives. We are supposed to be modest individuals, not displaying our wealth for the entire world to see like the Pharisees did back in Jesus's day but just showing humility and humbleness everywhere we go because that is what we are called to do as Christians. And so Gideon, unfortunately, even though his words were very humble, you know, I'm not going to be your king, his lifestyle was the opposite. It was not humble at all. And that was a detriment to him, and that was also a detriment to his family. And we're going to find out in the next chapter that um, some more things actually go wrong with Gideon's family, specifically regarding Abimelech. So we're going to talk more about that on Friday. But friends and faithful listeners, I really hope that you have a fantastic and beautiful rest of your day. But check out all the links in the description of this podcast episode and see what else P40 Ministries does. Faithful listeners, I'll see you all on Friday if I don't see you tomorrow for an episode out of Acts. But as always, happy listening and God bless.